0: Well, we're still going to be in the book of Acts. I'm going to to try to pick back up where we were about three weeks ago. Um, I do believe that we had, I think we had left off, if I'm not mistaken, right about the time that Peter was coming back to report to the church in Jerusalem about what he had experienced Um, bringing the gospel to the Gentiles with Cornelius and the Holy Spirit falling upon those who were in his house as he was speaking to the Gentiles and witnessing. And so I I believe we had read through that portion, but let's, let's talk for just a minute about what happened here in chapter 11 in the book of Acts. Because... Peter had come back to talk to the brothers in Jerusalem, and he had come back to talk about what he had experienced and, and what had happened. And the very first thing that they start to do is criticize him because he has gone to the Gentiles and he has sat with them and he has ate with them and he has witnessed to them. Um, so let's see, we're, that's, again, that's in chapter 11. And if you read through that, he, he recounts again what it was that, that caused him uh, to go from Joppa to go and visit the Gentiles. And he recounts the vision that he had about the, the thing like, like a sheet coming down from the sky and all of the, the uh, animals that were in it and how essentially it led him to come to an understanding that, that whatever God has made clean, do not call it unclean. Do not call it common, and so he came to the realization that um, that salvation was not just for the Jews, but it was also for the Gentile, and and so he proceeded on to, to follow the calling that that he received to go and visit them. So once he shared all of this with the folks who were there, and he was keep in mind he was talking to the circumcision party. So these are these are kind of the legalists, right? These are the ones who are who are, are trying to say, well, if A, B, C, and D aren't checked. These boxes aren't checked. And how can this be the case? And he says, look, here's what God said to me. Immediately after that, these people showed up and called me to go and witness. And I went and did it. And while I was there, I experienced something exactly like what we experienced on the day of Pentecost. We saw the Holy Spirit fall upon these Gentiles and they started to act and they started to to behave in such a way that it was clear that they were experiencing the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And so once he shares all that with, with the folks, um, you can see there in, in verse 18 of chapter 11, he says, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, I want to talk about that for just a second because we're, we're talking about a, a group of people here that, that don't, they don't easily apparently accept others into the fold. Right. So this is a, a very important moment in the church and it's in its building. So it's an important moment because the Gentiles have now become one with the other Christians. And, and but on what conditions did they accept them? Simply based upon what? Testimony. Testimony. Yeah simply based upon testimony and simply based upon the fact that clearly God gave them the same gift that He gave to the disciples or the the, the apostles on the day of Pentecost. And that was it, right? So what what, what should we take from that today when we look at how Christianity is arranged or Christianity is growing in different areas and different churches and different directions what should we take from that as to how we look and interact with other Christians who may not be part of the Baptist faith? Did it bring anything to mind?
1: If it's
0: very good fruit, you, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that our sometimes we get hung up so, so hard on differences that are non-foundational. We get hung up, so we hang our hats, or we have a hobby horse, or whatever it may be. And and we will drive a wedge between people who are really like-minded when it comes to Christ. But we'll drive that wedge on uh, because of things that we disagree with, that perhaps are open to interpretation, or perhaps are our opinions, or perhaps are traditions. But as long as they don't go against the foundations of faith, and as long as we're all approaching Christ on the same level and understanding that salvation comes through faith, we have something in common, do we not? And I think there's a, there's a uh, you know, it, it's interesting here that, you know, we're reading this in the New Testament. They didn't have that, that, that wonderful uh, advantage that we have now to be able to read this, but they were, they were reacting based upon what they knew and what they had been taught. And they were saying, all right, fine. If the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them, we are one. We are one. And so I think sometimes we need to remember that as we, as we look at other Christians and not allow some of the non-essentials to get in the way. Now, clearly, you know, heresy, clearly someone who has the wrong definition or understanding of who Christ is um, and, and they're proclaiming uh, salvation. You know, perhaps we have reasons to, to be concerned. Um, but but when, the, when the foundations don't change, when we're all built on the same rock, um, sometimes the building that goes up just looks a little different than the one next to it, and it doesn't mean that uh, that either building is bad. Well, they didn't have that long history with they? Really. they just couldn't say, "Well, we never did it that way before." No, you're right; they couldn't, could they? <laughs> you know, that really ought to be the Baptist motto. That should that should just be like at the bottom of uh, of the Baptist uh, faith and message. At the bottom, it should just say, "Baptists, we never did it that way before." <laughs> Because that just seems to be something that we say very, very frequently. just be the first of Yeah. It would never change it. Yeah, that's true. Well, it hasn't undergone a whole lot of updates, I don't think. Well, 63 of the 2,000. Now, see, I knew you'd know that, James. <coughs> but let's just keep that in consideration when we're... Uh, when we are talking with others, it, it it becomes so easy sometimes for us to look at another another church, another denomination, another another group of believers and to focus upon the differences as opposed to focusing upon what we have in common. And yeah, absolutely this. Yeah, it absolutely is of the devil
1: unfocused we can't we can't follow through with the mission which is to proclaim the gospel we're too worried about well this denomination says that you have to wear skirts and this denomination says no but well, we're going to fight tooth and nail first what you're wearing it.
0: without a doubt and,
1: and then when you've got this crowd over here that needs to hear about jesus we're worried about
0: something. yep that's what it, it's uh, i always say that that the when we start digging into scripture you know, I used to t- tell my kids all the time, I said, dig as deep as you can into Scripture, but do it for the purpose of strengthening your roots. Don't do it for the purpose of trying to uproot. Because when you're digging into Scripture to try to uproot, you're, you're going at it the wrong way. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Satan loves for us to, to do what you just said. We start picking on those things. You, you know, I could, I could find all kinds of things in Scripture that, that, that validate the wearing of the skirt. I can find things in Scripture that that don't validate the wearing of the skirt. So when you go to the Scripture to try and validate your own thoughts, in my opinion, you're uprooting, and and you're and you're, you're causing divisiveness, and you're you're doing all these things that that the Scriptures are not intended to do at that point. And uh, uh, so if we if we if we focus upon what we're supposed to focus upon when reading the Bible, and going to Scripture and letting it uh, letting it speak to us properly, then we won't go down that path. And I
1: think it's important to know that if you if you read you know, we're always growing as Christians. There's always a process of growing. And maybe this person they they read the scripture and then they suddenly have a conviction, hey, I'm supposed to be doing this. This is going to help make my okay, so they're in one part of the growth. So just saying, you don't do this. Well, that person's not in that part of your book. Maybe that, you know, that, that's important to understand too, is people people grow in their faith at different rates. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's just like when you're growing as a child, one child may learn to walk faster, one child may learn to tie their shoes quicker, you know, but the same few children will be different. And I think as followers of Christ, it's the same thing, our convictions, may lead us different, but as long as we're all
0: growing, that's really what is essential in our walk with Christ. Yeah, So, what I, was, what I say in the, the sermon the other day is it would be great if, if at the moment we believed we were just suddenly completely mature and, and we, had this, we had this incredible desire to, to obey God and, and everything was just, you know, I like to say sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. But it just doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't happen that way. It's a process. Anybody else have anything? I think maybe the, the hour time change has affected you all more than I realized. Crazy it gave me an extra hour. <laughs> Paula, I don't know if I wanna ask this, but how?
1: Because I teach children in China, their time doesn't change in the fall. So that requires me to get up an hour earlier to teach them all winter long. Oh, I see. So when we spring forward, I get an hour.
0: Back. Back. <laughs> well, you always have been a little different. Always. Have been yeah. Special. Okay. Good enough. <laughs> cup, cup half full. Yeah. Cup half full. So let's go ahead and move on then uh, to verse nineteen, the church in Antioch. So, so this is a point where we start to see a shift and we start to see a change in the focus of. Uh, the, the central discussion of the church in the book of Acts. Uh, up until this point, we've really talked about the central point of the church being in, in Jerusalem, and, and now we're going to start to shift our discussion to Antioch. Now, Antioch is um, the third largest city in Rome. Uh, it's, I believe, what I read uh, about Antioch earlier is that it, it's, its main street was about four miles long, and it was marble. Now, this was a this was an incredible Place and uh, they had a hippodrome where they had chariot races. They had a palace. Uh, it was uh it was the capital city of uh, the Roman province of Syria. Uh, it's uh, the, but there were I believe there were I, I read I don't know Mary I don't know if you know anything here to, to add to this or not uh, with your studies but I think I read there were like seventeen different Antioch cities, but this so when they talk about Antioch you, you don't really know which one they're talking about, but this was the biggest one, and so. Why there'd be so many Antiochs, I have no idea. But this was the biggest one. And so when when Stephen was being persecuted, and we talked about the the dispersion of the Jews and how they all took off and went to various places, to to, uh, um, the believers, to escape persecution, some of them landed in Antioch. And when they did, we're going to find out what happened here and what took place, Uh, but this is the foundation of the church. And as it starts to grow in Antioch and really becomes a, uh, a, a central uh, place for the ministry, <coughs> ministry to others. So let's jump into chapter or sorry, in uh, Verse 19. It says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, <coughs> who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So the Hellenists, these were the Greek-speaking, um, Greek-speaking Jews who lived in the area and uh, they, they were going ahead and, and, and witnessing to them and preaching Jesus Christ. Verse 21 it says, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Notice there in 21 when it says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. We find that throughout here as, as, as the descriptions are being made, that there's a reference always that this church being built and people coming to the Lord is not the work of men. It's the work of God moving his hand, building his church, and growing his church the way that he intends for it to grow. So we find out that the the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great number of people were added to the Lord. We'll keep reading in 25, says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So Book of Acts tells us that this is the first time in Antioch, that the word Christian is being used to describe the believers, we know that we've been looking as we've gone through the book of Acts at at, uh, at the Apostle Paul's ministry and how it's starting to build and what he's be, what he's actually doing. Um, I believe we're we're still looking at about uh, uh, 12, 12 years, give or take. Was it, was it twelve or fourteen years since Paul was saved on the road to Damascus to now? So there's a pretty good gap here of time where where we, we do find out that Paul's been doing a lot of things. We don't have a, a full account of what he's been doing. But we know that Barnabas decides to go back to Tarsus to, to get Saul because it's time for him to start working his ministry and doing what God has called him to do, and he's continued to be prepared. I find it, I find it a little bit interesting that when we do read some of the times in, in, uh, in Scripture, that uh, um, I think I read in ESV study, study notes that there's some discussion as to whether or not the years are counted as full years as we would do now or if they're counted the way that they used to be counted where it would be a partial year. And I thought, well, how much difference would that really make? Well, if they say 14 years as the time frame, they could actually mean 12 years and two months because it could have been one month in the previous year and then you have 12 years, and then 10 years, 11, I'll get it right, 11 years, and then one month in the next year. So so without them being full years, there could be, you know, what would that be, 20 months that wouldn't actually be part of the 14 that we would hear? So does that make sense? I, I said that kind of jumbled up, but I see Paula's face is like, I don't know if I get you or not. I think I do. Okay. Okay. Yeah, instead of being 14 full years, it could be 12 years and a month here and a month here. So they would count that one month as a year and just lump it in together. <clears throat> it's kind of like, you know, if I, was, if, if I had my, 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 my 50th birthday, which I did, and then the very next month, I said, now I'm 51, um, but I wouldn't want to do that.
1: 71. What's that? Yeah. 17 years.
0: Yeah, you want to? Yeah. (coughs) So the Apostle Paul, Saul, at this point, um, has been has been summoned by Barnabas, and they're going to uh, start what they start. Let's uh, go back down to twenty-seven here. Twenty-seven says, "Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus." stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. I have a question. We started talking about in the beginning of the book of Acts about how Christians lived together and how every need was met in this this, this communal, this, if you will, communism approach to, to being together as Christians. And we are seeing something here where relief is being sent to the brothers in Judea. And we don't really hear of that Every need being met scenario, past the early descriptions of the church in the Book of Acts, it starts to get to a point where where aid comes in from other places and and there are things that need to be met. Does it seem as though that arrangement, if you will, where the where the church was early growing and just getting its feet wet, was a temporary situation? Well, unless you
1: became a Christian, you probably
0: could get a job anyway. Probably not. Probably not. It, hardship, was, hardship would fall upon you. I mean, Christ, Christ guaranteed it, right? Hardship's going to fall upon you. Um, and so I'm just, I'm just curious as to the fact that relief is being sent to those. Now, obviously, there's still an effort underway to try to take care of one another. But it doesn't sound as if that communal uh, arrangement still exists at this point. Uh, and that, and that, folks are still are, are starting to have have issues. I just wanted to see if it, if it sounded that way to everybody else. <coughs> but clearly, we're called to take care of one another, and clearly, they were they were doing that uh, at this at this stage of the game to the best of their ability. Um, so, so we have that happening. Um, we talked about the church in Antioch, and and verse twelve or chapter twelve gets into. Uh, the time of Herod the king and, and what has taken place here. So let's just go ahead and read through this, and we'll, we'll talk about it as well. It says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Why do you think it pleased the Jews? They were I, I would assume so. Um, it's interesting, though, in referencing commentaries on this, I didn't find anybody who who, who ventured a specific explanation. I even found uh, one one group of study notes that said, um, it's not clear why it pleased the Jews. I'm not entirely <coughs> sure myself. Probably well, because possibility uh, well, possible, James is just out to preach. Absolutely, it could, could very well be that. Couldn't handle the could handle the heat. Yep. So they wanted him out of the kitchen. Peter was probably just as bad as maybe worse. <yeah. laughs> so he so 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 James, brother of John, is killed. Then Peter gets arrested. But it tells us here that this was during the days of unleavened bread. Why is that significant? Because leaven was part of sin. Yeah, what's what are the days of unleavened bread? Passover. Passover. So it, it's, it's the seven days following Passover.
1: But if you go back to the original Passover, it's in Leviticus, the twenty-third chapter, <laughs> seventeen first. They were to get two loaves of bread, and they were to be made with fine flour and leaven, so they, they should have known
0: that. But what's what is the? I'm curious. What is significant about the fact that? Why would the scriptures tell us that Peter was arrested, and it was during this time period? Jesus
1: was arrested during this time period. Time. Hey,
0: Mary. I think uh, so. The idea for the Romans is we want peace, right? The Pax Cox, Romana, right? Yeah. The peace of Rome was very important, and some people
1: were going to have to die or be persecuted to keep the peace. Well, during the time of Passover. Lots of Jewish people are coming to Jerusalem and causing
0: issues. Issues.
1: Like, <clears throat> and stuff like that. Uh, so, they. I think what they were trying to do was kind of pick off the troublemakers and calm the, Jew, the Jewish people down a little bit. Because.
0: And I think I think there's some, some some truth to that, and and certainly an element there as well. Isn't this
1: before like 70 A.D. when they have that
0: major uprising? This is yeah. So, yeah, this is before it seems that.
1: Tension like is still brewing from a political standpoint,
0: and maybe they're to. And, and 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 I would I'd go along with with, with that whole socioeconomic uh, or, or 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 picture that you painted. Um, but I also read very very simply that um, any executions that took place during that period uh, considered uh, they would desecrate the uh, the festival the the celebration time, so they just didn't do it. They just so if you got arrested during those seven days, you knew you weren't gonna get killed. It was they just that simple. They would hold on to you until until everybody was finished doing what they do during that time period, and then they would get back to their to the scenarios. So so Peter was fortunate enough to be arrested during that time period where he, you know and that's why
1: they don't just kill him well. right away. In in right.
0: <laughs> yes, that's what I think is going on here. Yeah. Wasn't that, it, Paula?
1: That makes sense because they're using the the so Peter activist yeah so people was kept in prison that they are giving that as a reason to
0: yeah this is this is why it's happening this yeah, way yeah
1: so <coughs> a statement but a reason
0: yeah it ties it together <laughs> so. Yeah, again, so so that's something I wanted us to pay attention to, that there's a, you know, you, you get these little inserts sometimes in Scripture, and you go, what's, is that important? Yeah, here it really is important. Um, I also read uh, something that, that I found interesting I didn't even think about. You know, Jesus really told Peter how he was, was going to die. And so Peter has to be thinking at this point, you can't kill me. It's not going to happen, because Jesus has already told me how I'm going to die. So he, he must have had an incredible con, uh, confidence about him as he was doing these ministries and as he was put in jail and things that were taking place because he already knew what, what Christ had shared with him as to how his demise would come about. So this was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when, he had, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Um, it, you know, it makes that distinction here that it was it was earnest prayer, it was serious prayer. It was. I have this picture of devout prayer. I have this picture of uh, of the church, you know, g- gathering together and praying together. And uh, it's. I don't know. I just have this picture in my mind of. Of the believers, when, when the Bible says earnest prayer, I have this picture of these dedicated people giving their, their heart and soul to prayer to God to say, Please save our brother, release him from prison. And then we find out in verse 6 it says, Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. It paints us our, our picture here, our setting. It says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So he basically thought he was dreaming. Verse 10 says, when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, "Now I am sure that the Lord has sent His angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, and from all that the Jewish people were expecting." So Peter has been let out. Peter, Peter has is now um, essentially he is safe. He's on the outskirts, and and he can go back to uh, to the to uh, the believers. We'll keep reading here for another minute. Uh, it says and verse twelve. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. What does that mean? I, you know, I, I thought that too. That's exactly what I thought. Oh, they think they think that he's he's dead and it's his spirit or something. But 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 you know, Scripture obviously teaches clearly that we don't become angels when we die. And so I so I so I started to discount that. And uh, the best thing I could find is that they have a belief in guardian angels. That this is this is Peter's guardian angel come to deliver a message. It's not actually Peter verse 16 it says but peter continued knocking and when they opened they saw him and were amazed but motioning to them with his hand to be silent he described to them how the lord had brought him out of the prison and he said tell these things to james and to the brothers then he departed and went to another place we'll wrap this up verse 18 now when the day came there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened what had become of peter and after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So what, what I take out of this, and we, we need to wrap up, but what I take out of this clearly is that the believers are in the midst of earnest prayer, but they're, they're so deeply into their earnest prayer that they don't believe that their prayer has been answered, it's, you know, the 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 clue here for us, for us believers is like we talked about on, on the Wednesday night that we got to we had our prayer time. Um, pray expecting God to move. If you're not expecting God to move, why are you wasting your time? You know, when, when you come to God, expect him to do something. Otherwise, where is your faith? And in this case. God moved. God got a, God got Peter out of jail and he shows up and nobody can believe it. It's amazing. And uh, it's it's just I think a lesson to us that when we when we pray earnestly, expect God to move and don't be surprised when he does something. Honest. Any other comments or questions before we uh, we wrap up? I don't mean to abruptly quit there, but I wanted to get through that whole passage. You yeah <laughs> yeah I think that could be the case <laughs> very good anything else all right well we will pick up there next week and um, we will talk about the death of Herod which is actually out of chronological chronological order here um, we can talk about that a little bit but um, and then move into to uh, chapter 13 as well. So thank you all for being here this morning. appreciate the discussion and the time. And um, we're going to close with a word of prayer and head on into the sanctuary. Father God, thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the preservation of it. Um, Lord, we thank you for the messages and for the lessons and for all that we can learn just by, by reading and studying and discussing. Uh, Lord, But we we continue to pray that the Holy Spirit will work within us and help us to understand this in the way that you want us to understand it lord uh, deliver that message to us Uh, father again as we leave here this morning uh, help us to not forget what we've studied help us to uh, apply it to our lives uh, so that it really makes a difference in our walk with christ Uh, uh, lord just uh, uh, be with our church service this morning i pray that the message that is delivered will touch the hearts of those who are present Um, And as we've said before, Lord, we pray that your kingdom will be grown and that existing relationships will be strengthened. Father, thank you again for this time, and we look forward to all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.